Psalm chapter 27, verses 1 to 4. Let's hear God's word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of gazing upon your beauty. Since the dawn of creation, you have been shining forth your glory for your creation to display your majesty and your wonder. And since the creation of Adam and Eve, you have put in us a desire to see you, behold you, walk in relationship with you, and enjoy you. God, we thank you for continuing to make yourself known from that day until today, and you will for all of eternity continue to show just how glorious and magnificent you are. Father, in these moments, may your word, empowered by your spirit, show us more of who you are so we may behold you, we may glorify you, we may enjoy you together. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. One of the things we have uh, and just as humans, as people, is we have a, a natural, I'd say maybe a God-given appreciation for beauty. We enjoy things that are beautiful. Uh, we are attracted to things that are beautiful. And of course, different cultures, different times, different centuries define beauty in different ways. There's a, kind of the extreme things, you know, things that seem extreme to us that are very different from us. Things like, you know, 100 years ago, whatever, in China, where they used to wrap women's feet, as painful as that must have been, because they thought small feet, petite feet, were beautiful. Went to great lengths to, to uh, show that and to, to have small feet. Or you can think of maybe in the indigenous and African cultures, things like elongated necks or stretched out earlobes or lips or something like that. Kind of the extreme things, but... But in, in even less, maybe, maybe it seems a little bit less extreme, how different it could be. Just back to Victorian you know, Europe, uh, they valued very pale skin, whereas today we're always trying to get a tan, right? And they did, you know, it, it overly valued the hourglass figure so much so they wore those corset things. Like, oh, that looks awful, you know? Beauty is a very strange thing, culture to culture, uh, times, seasons, countries, whatever. We may change uh, the definition of it, how we, how we you know, see it or whatever. But this we have in common. We all value beauty. We all value what is beautiful. And of course, you know, we say beauty, maybe, maybe a person is the first thing you think of, but we call and recognize all kinds of things as beautiful. If golf is your thing, a, a beautiful, you could, a really textbook golf swing, you would say, that's a beautiful golf swing, or a baseball swing, or a pitch, you know, from a pitcher. It's got beautiful form. If, if taking care of your grass is your thing, man, that is a beautiful lawn. They've got it perfectly manicured and fertilized, right? It's beautiful. 
Maybe you're into the latest fashion, beautiful fashion, or, or somebody that's you know, into computer programming. So that, that, you, know, you could have written that code in any number of ways, but the way you did it was beautiful. It was really well done. It was pleasing. Songs are beautiful, even they are not visual. You can close your eyes and appreciate the beauty of music. A well-crafted story could be the same way. You don't see anything. Beauty is not just something with your eyes, but it is beautiful to hear a well-told story. Beautiful food, beautiful smells, on and on. Beauty is anything that is pleasing to us, something we appreciate, we value, and we say this, this is, it, it engages my senses in some way that I say that is awesome, that is beautiful, that is good. And it is delightful. In all of our own unique ways, whatever your interests or passions, things you enjoy and appreciate, if you say something is beautiful, you're saying you are delighting in it. That's one definition of beauty. is a quality which brings pleasure to those to be, that behold it. It brings pleasure to me, so I call it beautiful. It could be something we see, hear, taste, we experience, whatever, a number of ways, but it brings satisfaction. And you have to wonder... Why did God create a world in such a way that beauty even exists? Surely God could have created the world in grayscale, right? Like your printer has the color option and the grayscale option. God could have just left all the color out and fall would be really boring, right? But he could have. He's God. He chose to create it in a way that has beauty. God created the world in such a way that, that there are things that are majestic and beautiful. Why would he have done that? It could have just been functional, right? The leaves turning a color for us to enjoy and delight in isn't functional. They, they could, or they could have all changed the same color and accomplished the same thing, but they all change different colors. Why would God create that? And on top of that, why would we, the ones who are created in his image, be created in such a way that we enjoy that beauty. I, I don't know a lot about squirrels, but I don't get the impression that they stop and look at all the different oak trees and all the different types of species of trees and go, oh, that's interesting. That one's orange and that one's red. No, they're just hunting. For we, on the other hand, stop, or at least we should, stop and go, wow, that's, that's awesome. Some of you have taken lengthy drives up to the mountains this fall to go enjoy and delight in the beauty of God's creation. Why? Did God do that? Why would he create a world like that? Why are there mountains and rivers and oceans and lakes? Why not just one big plane and there's just an end? Why is there a whole globe in this solar system? And revol I mean, the beauty goes on and on and on. A seemingly endless universe. Why would God create a beautiful world? Why does the night sky have stars in it? Why not just a big black blanket? <laughs> Why would God do that? Today, we are finishing our, our study on the attributes of God, and we're looking at what, what some theologians call kind of summary attributes, attributes that don't really fit in one of the categories we've looked at so far. And, and what, it, what it allows us to do is kind of step back and look at everything we've said so far, all 
fall, we've been taking the, the diamond that is the nature of God and we've been spinning it slowly, looking at one or two facets at a time, beholding that the majesty and the beauty and the glory of God just displayed in the Trinity or just displayed in God's being all-powerful. And we've taken each one of those facets one at a time and slowly spun that diamond and said, this side is incredible. you got to see this. Oh no, this side is amazing. And so today we want to step back and look at the whole diamond and say, God is beautiful. God is beautiful. We could summarize God in any number of ways. When we describe His perfection, His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, His patience. But here's one way to describe Him. He is beautiful. That's the summary attribute I want to invite you to behold today. Behold your beautiful God. Behold the beauty of the Lord. That's what David does, Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, normally I, I like taking big passages of scripture and, you know, kind of working my way through it. Really today I'm just taking one verse and really even in just, just one phrase of a verse. The beauty of the Lord. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's, that's my invitation to you today. Just gaze upon the beauty of the Lord of the Lord. Now, if you are, um, you know, extremely manly, this may be hard for you <laughs> to describe God as beautiful. But for all of us, it's probably not the word that, that first comes to our, our mouths when we think of God. We don't maybe not, maybe not describe Him as beautiful. Maybe that's not natural to you. But it's common in Scripture. Isaiah, I mean, David's not alone in Psalm 27. Isaiah also describing uh, the, the coming Messiah, uh, a branch that would, that would be raised up from this this shoot, this from this tree, it says Isaiah 4.2, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. He says also Isaiah 28.5, speaking of, of how God would rule over the rebellious enemies of this people, he says, In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty, the remnant of his people. Isaiah 33.17, Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. Over and over again, this is a word used of God's word to describe God, that God is beautiful. He is pleasing. He is a joy. When we behold Him as He is, it does something to us. It brings us pleasure. It brings us satisfaction. God is not just functional to us. God brings us joy. And that is why God created the world in such a way that there is a thing as beauty. God Himself is beautiful, and God has always enjoyed the beautiful, loving relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and created everything that there is out of the overflow of His nature. And because God Himself is beautiful, when He created, it was beautiful. God shares of His nature in creation, and so the beauty of the world, the beauty of your spouse, the beauty of your children, the beauty of the galaxies, and Niagara Falls, and oceans, and lakes, and rivers, and all of it is a reflection of the beauty of God. The reason you were created with a beautyometer in your being is because God wants you to see how beautiful He is. He wants you to behold the, the beauty of creation in such a way that you say, 
the one who created this, is gloriously, spectacularly beautiful. That's the point. That's why he made the world beautiful. God could have created you and me with just a long list of tasks to accomplish. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes live like that's how God created me. Here's the list. I just got to get through it and go back to sleep and then wake up the next day and go back to my list. He could have created you with that function. And yet, all of you know, there is something deep in you that is more than just checking things off a to-do list. There is an appreciation, a value, a passion, an emotion in you that is not limited to just checking things off a list. You weren't created to just check things off a list. You were created to behold the beauty of your God and to enjoy Him. God created us with emotion. God created us with a desire for pleasure and joy and satisfaction. Why would He create us to, to, to treasure things, to take delight in things? He created us that way because that's who He is. God does not have a, God the Father does not have just a functional, mission accomplished type relationship with His Son. He does not just send out His, you know, His, His operative Jesus, go do the thing, come back, we'll be good, you know. No, He loves His Son. God the Father has eternally loved God the Son in and through the Holy Spirit. It is a delight that God experiences within Himself. And He shares that with you and me. As, as organized and efficient and productive as we want to be, that is not the end-all, be-all of our lives. We were created for joy. We were created for beauty. We were created to delight in a relationship with God. We, we could be summarizing God's attributes in any number of ways. There are all kinds of great ways to describe God. God is perfect. That's kind of a way of, of looking at the diamond of, of God's nature and stepping back from it. You could say it is, it's perfect. You know, Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God, God's nature lacks nothing. There's no imperfections in God. There's no gaps or missing pieces or, or something that doesn't quite fit together right in God. All of God's attributes are perfect. Herman Bobnick, the uh, Dutch theologian, said, God is the sum total of all of his attributes, the one whom no greater or higher can exist in thought or reality. I had to write that down because I couldn't remember you know, to say that. But you get the idea. There's, 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 there's nothing greater than him. He's perfect. So that's why you could summarize God. You could summarize God as glorious, right? That's a word used all throughout the Bible to display God's display of his goodness and his greatness. The, the display of that, the going forth of that is described as his glory. And it's like a shining light displaying how awesome he is. God is glorious. Or we could describe God as blessed or happy. The verse uh, Caitlin read earlier, 1 Timothy 6 and earlier in that book, 1 Timothy 1.11, both times described God as blessed, meaning he is, he's happy. God is happy. You thought about this? God in himself is joyous. God has everything perfect. He, he is perfect. He's never been disappointed or let down. He doesn't have any, you know, thing he's wanted to accomplish and, oh man, that one didn't happen. You know, nothing, he's not sad. God is perfectly happy. And he's created us to share in that blessedness. So you could, we, just, we could describe God as blessed and happy. That is a, a way of holding up the diamond and saying he's blessed. He has everything. But the word I want to give you today, because I think it kind of just, man, captures God's nature, describes it well. 
is that God is beautiful. God is beautiful. Behold the beauty of the Lord. And I, I hope that's what you've been able to do all, all fall, as we've been describing God's nature. We've been describing who He is and what He is like. I, I hope that somewhere in you, along this study, or at least as if driven you back to God's Word to find these things for your own about who God is, I hope somewhere along there, God's Word has, has drawn you to see God and to see Him as beautiful. We started way back at the beginning with, with attributes of God that are unique to Him. We call these incommunicable. They are, they are ways that we are not like God. God is the only one who is a trinity, which isn't really an attribute, it's His nature. But we started with the God's trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed together. And all the mystery of that is, and all that it, it is mysterious, but it is beautiful. It is glorious. We, we talked about how God is infinite with, in respect to space and time. He is, he is eternal and He is omnipresent. God is self-sufficient. God is not served by human hands as though He needs anything. Acts 17. These are beautiful things about God. Praise God, He needs nothing. Praise God, He's got it all. God is unchanging. He is immutable. Malachi 3.6 was our memory verse one month. For the Lord, I, the Lord, do not change. These are beautiful characteristics of God. From there, we moved in describing the, the ways that God's, God, we are called to be like God, communicable attributes. Many of them are moral, things like His, his faithfulness. He is good. He is holy. He is righteous. God is loving. God is gracious and merciful, and He is patient. And then we took a couple weeks and looked at ways that, thinking about God's God's intellectual attributes, his, his mind and His will, what He desires. He is omnipotent, meaning He has all power, and God is sovereign. He has all authority. And He uses those things perfectly in His providence, His purposeful sovereignty. A couple weeks ago, we looked at how God is omniscient, meaning He knows everything. Praise God. He's not, he's not sitting around waiting to find out the results to see if, see if things are going to work out like He wants them to. He knows everything. And he's perfectly wise. And last week we talked about God's right to, to defend this, his nature, and that he is jealous for his own glory. And so today we look back at all those things, all of who God is, and of course, infinitely more. I mean, you recognize, you know, the iceberg metaphor, like oh, only 10% of the icebergs above the water. There is a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of, of God's nature that we have touched that is above the water. I mean, God is infinitely more than anything we've, we've said so far. But we've been diving in as best we can so that we can see that this, our God, is beautiful. There is nothing better in the universe than a perfectly wise and holy God who loves you and cares for you, though He doesn't need you and wants you and invites you into relationship with Him. A God who has known everything about you and every, every day that you will live, every word you'll ever say before it's on your tongue, and loves you anyway, <laughs> loves you. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than this. Do you find God is beautiful? Do, do, when, you, when you spend time with God, when you hear of God, when you read God's word, it, is it, does it land on your soul in such a way that you recognize this is beautiful? God himself is beautiful. Is it pleasing to you? Is God pleasing to you. If not your beautyometer or whatever it was a second a second ago, I said a second ago, it's broken. <laughs> there's nothing better. 
than God himself. If God isn't beautiful to you, there is something wrong. Not with God, but with us. We don't always desire the most beautiful thing, do we? The best thing. Sometimes our desires, our, our pleasures, the things that we enjoy, are tainted by sin. Joy itself is a gift, but where we try to satisfy that joy, where we try to seek satisfaction and pleasure, way more often than it should be, is in things that are actually not good for us. Things that lead to addictions, things that lead to harming other people. Sometimes we taint a good desire and turn it into a lustful one when we use it for our own good instead of out of loving somebody else. Sometimes we don't let the, the beauty of this world point us to the one who created it. And we turn the, the good thing of this world into an idol. It becomes something we worship. It is a beautiful thing. Your children are a beautiful thing. Your spouse is a beautiful thing. These are gifts from the Lord. But if your life is in service to them and them alone, you have stopped short of the glory of God, the one who gave the beauty to that thing. These are all tools and vessels and blessings and opportunities and gifts so that we can steward them, love them, and delight in the one who gave them to us. God doesn't want us to have just temporary satisfaction. He wants us to have eternal joy. The human body, for instance, I mean, God, this is the, the way God created us. I said at the beginning, beauty, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is the human body, but I, I, I hope this isn't news to you, but your, your body, it has a peak of beauty. Do you know this already? <laughs> there's, there's a spot somewhere. I'll let you give a number to that, but there's a peak somewhere, right? And, and, and you're still beautiful, no matter your age, okay? But, but it, it, it ebbs and flows, okay? True beauty. There is a beauty that is deeper than what you see in the mirror. Can I get an amen? And a praise God, right? There's a deeper beauty that does not peak, doesn't have to peak on this earth. That can peak when we go to be with Him in glory. That beauty is godliness. The way God intended is that at you know, 30, you're just getting started on godliness, right? This doesn't peak. You grow. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. That's the beauty worth seeking. Yes, steward your body. Yes, take good care of yourself. But know that the very design of your body is that it is a jar of clay that ultimately serves how we are, we, are, we are displaying God's glory now and then enjoying it forever in a resurrected body. So what you have now is an opportunity to seek and enjoy a greater beauty, the glory of God. We need God to change us because we get so compelled by, so captivated by, by lesser beauties. We spend so much time on our physical appearance or the, 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 the beauty of our work or the beauty uh, of whatever else it may be that we, we forget what we were created for. We are satisfied playing in the mud, as C.S. Lewis said, not knowing that God has offered us a vacation on a cruise ship. You're, we're sitting around playing in the mud. We are captivated by lesser beauties when all these things are meant to point us to God and we need God to change us. We need God to captivate our hearts with something better than the beauties that we are focusing on. There, there have been so many studies. Amber told me about this. And I went and read about it. 
in human growth and development, I study these things, where they can put uh, pictures in front of like brand new children, brand new babies, infant babies, and babies will focus on the, the picture of a person who is more attractive than the other. That's bizarre to me. I don't know how that works, right? But this has been a repeated study, so apparently it's, you know, people in this world, they know these things. That's really not that interesting to me. I mean, I don't know why that happens, but it's not. here's what's interesting to me. A very short time afterwards, after this child has, you know, been with mom and that kind of thing, a very short time afterwards, we can show the same baby a picture of mom and a picture of somebody more or less attractive, and the baby picks, looks at mom's picture over and over. Doesn't matter how attractive that is. You know what has happened? In that child, there has been a change in what they find pleasure in, what they delight in, what they find joy in. They say, I don't care what that person looks like. You know what, I, you know what if baby could talk, right? Baby would say, you know, what, you know what this picture represents? This is the one who picks me up and comforts me when I'm crying. This is the one who gives me food. This is the one who cares for me and, and loves me and gives me everything I need. Doesn't matter what you show over here, I'm picking this one every single time. Praise God, our affections can be changed. Praise God, He can change what we delight in. He can change our affections and the things that bring us pleasure. Moms, you may need to know that the thing that makes you beautiful isn't your waistline. <laughs> it's you are a great mom, and you love the Lord, and you are a child of God. Praise God that He changes our affections, and whether or not the world's affections are right or not, God's, God's definition of beauty is way more important. And God can change the things that you and I delight in because He has control over our hearts. I say that about children because I want you to know if you do not find beauty in the Lord yet, if God is not beautiful to you, if having a, a relationship with Him does, does not bring you joy or affection or, or pleasure, there's still hope. There is still hope. Something hasn't happened yet. And, and the Bible talks about this a few, a few different ways. One of them is you're, you haven't been brought from, from dead to life, right? You, you, you haven't, you haven't you, another way is that you, you still have scales over your eyes. You are blind and God wants you to see. That is salvation. Salvation is seeing the beauty of God, of having your affections change to going from somebody who just sees whatever is beautiful according to whatever standards our culture decides that and says, no, 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 this is the one who takes care of me. This is the one who meets my needs and loves me and cherishes me. This is the one who is truly beautiful. If that hasn't happened for you, that is salvation. Beholding the beauty of God, seeing God as more joyous, a greater treasure, a more glorious, awesome, loving God. Seeing Him as better than everything else, that is salvation. And if you think, okay, salvation, I prayed a prayer for forgiveness and I'm leaving it behind and doing my own thing, that's not salvation. Salvation is saying, Jesus is the greatest there is. There's, I have nothing better. If I'm living for something other than Jesus, then I don't find him the most glorious. And yes, when I see him as treasure, I will repent of my sins and believe in him because there's nothing better than knowing him. Behold the beauty of God. If you are still blind to the glory of God, if you're still living in lesser things, God can open your eyes. God can give light to the blind. God can make us see. 
For, for those of you who've been on an, an airplane, do you, do you remember what it was like the first time you flew on an airplane? I, I was probably too young, so I don't remember, but I remember going on a mission trip a few years ago with somebody who had never flown on an airplane, who was a college student, and she was giddy, like super excited. Some people are terrified, you know, about the whole like being in a cylinder tube and flying 40,000 feet in the air. Like that is, I know, one, but if you get over that for a minute, the beauty of it, if you can enjoy the beauty of it, and this girl, I mean, she was like, I got to have a window seat. On who in our group has a window seat? I'm getting a window seat. So we gave her the window seat, right? And she was just stunned. She watched our little Greenville, South Carolina, turn into, you know, from, from all these buildings that are, you know, as big as you think they are, to this little bitty thing way below. And then we went through the clouds, right? And then you're looking out over top the clouds. And whether they're the wispy ones or the big fluffy cotton ball ones, it's just breathtaking. And if you do that too much, you start taking it for granted. And you just, the first time your eyes see the beauty of our planet from 40,000 feet, you're like, this is incredible. This is amazing what God has done. There, there's a, there's a uh, uh, like scales that fall off your eyes the first time you get to fly. I didn't even know that how beautiful it was up here. But now I have seen it. And it's amazing. Maybe, maybe you've, you like swimming. You go to pools and you swim around here in local pools. Or maybe you've even gone to, you know, somebody's got a really nice pool or something. Do you remember the first time you went to the ocean? First time you got to walk on the beach? Have you been to the Grand Canyon? Have you heard the roar of Niagara Falls? God has created beauty in such a way that, that it's like scales fall off our eyes. Like, I had no idea that God was this beautiful. Salvation is like that. It's scales falling off our eyes where we can behold the glory, the beauty, the majesty of who God is. Have you experienced that beauty? Do you know that beauty? If so, there is a, a change in our hearts, a transformation in who we are, and it changes everything about us. And we will live di excuse me, differently than we have before. Well, I'm going to skip to my third point. I'm just going to skip the second one. Here's what I want you to know the change that happens. The change that happens in us is we live with gratitude. We live with gratitude. And the, what, the where that comes from, the, the beauty that, that happens when we behold God, is when we see God on the cross. All through this series, I've been talking about, as we've been talking about the attributes of God, I've said the place you can behold God the best is on the cross. Behold the beauty of the cross with gratitude. I want you to see the beauty of the Lord and the one place I want you to see that more than anywhere else is on the cross. If we are going to be in awe of who God is, then you've got to see the beauty of the cross. As we've been walking through, we've said things like, okay, we talk about God being the Trinity, and, and that's really important, and the place that we really need to know that is on the cross. Because when we think about God being three in one, He's one being in three persons, we begin to start to wrap our mind around the beauty of of God being self-sacrificing on the cross. God being infinite is critical for us to understand the cross because since Jesus is infinite, He can pay our infinite debt on the cross. The cross is where we see God is just. He does not let sin and, and evil go unpunished. God would not be a good God if He swept all evil under the rug. But the cross proves once and for all that God deals with sin. 
but it shows us that he's also merciful and gracious and that he was willing to take on that justice on himself instead of pouring it out on you and me. God is holy and righteous and he is sovereign. If we did not know what God's word tells us about the cross, we'd have thought the cross was the one day in history that God had lost control. Jesus, Jesus, you said you were the son of God. And yet here you are on the cross being killed. They mocked him. Everybody, if you are the son of God, bring yourself down. It looked like God was out of control. And yet over and over the scriptures preach, Peter, Paul, and Acts, through the, through the letters, they preach, no, 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 no. The resurrection proved it. That because he came out of the grave, we know for sure God planned this. Yes, Pontius Pilate was evil. Yes, Herod was evil. Yes, the, the disciples were evil for abandoning their Savior that day. But God was in charge. God sent his son to the cross. God willingly went himself to pay for our sins. And that is as beautiful as it gets. The cross is where we see the beauty of God on display like nowhere else. It is the apex of the display of God's beauty. Phil Wickham sings a song called Beautiful that begins with this description of creation. It says, I see your face in every sunrise. The, the colors of the morning are inside your eyes. The world awakens in the light of the day. I look up to the sky and say, you're beautiful. That's, that's the sunrise. That's a beautiful morning. And he pictures it at night, in creation at night. He says, I see your power in the moonlit night where planets are in motion and galaxies are bright. We are amazed in the light of the stars. It's all proclaiming who you are. You're beautiful. He says creation is dis displaying, declaring. That, that's why it's there. It's declaring the beauty of God. But then the third verse, Phil Wickham says, I see you there hanging on a tree. You bled and then you died and you rose again for me. Now you are sitting on your heavenly throne and soon we will be coming home. You're beautiful. Blood shouldn't be beautiful. I, I have a pretty significant reaction, actually, when I see blood. I, I don't do great with that. Blood is not something that we think of naturally as beautiful. It, something's wrong when there's blood. And something was wrong when Jesus shed his blood. We have sinned against an infinite and perfect God. And God took that wrong and he made it right by shedding his blood. That's beauty. That's love. That's glory. That is perfect. That is holy. That is righteous. I hope you can see the beauty of our God on the cross. And if you can, it should fill us with gratitude. This week, I know, is an American holiday. Thanksgiving is not in the Bible, but it is a biblical concept. God's the author of that. Because people who have received grace, received God's perfection, received God's holiness, the way you know you received it is you say, thank you. Thank you. And observing the Lord's Supper is one way we can do that. We contemplate, we consider God's body broken for us, His blood shed for us, and we say, thank you. Thank you for showing your beauty on the cross so that I could be in relationship with you. And we do that until Christ returns. God commands us to continue to take this meal as we celebrate and we worship together 
until he returns. And when he does, Phil Wickham's song, Beautiful, has one more verse. He describes what that day will be like. It says, when we arrive at eternity's shore, when death is just a memory and tears are no more, we enter in as the wedding bells ring, your bride will come together and will sing, you're beautiful. Again, I know you may be masculine, you may not like this idea, but you're, you are the bride of Christ if you are the church. And God is making you beautiful so that you can delight in His beauty for eternity. There is a wedding feast that is to come. This feast we're about to take part, partake in together is a foretaste of that feast that we will have for eternity, celebrating our groom who is risen and reigning over all things. And He is beautiful. This meal celebrates the most beautiful moment that has happened in human history and looks forward to a beauty that we will enjoy for all of eternity. Your God is beautiful and he has created you in his image to delight in and enjoy his beauty, knowing that one day he will glorify you and make him beautiful like him. One day we will see him face to face. We will get to see the beauty of God and he will make you like him. That's what we celebrate today. You and I serve a glorious, perfect, holy, righteous, and beautiful God. Amen? Amen. Amen.